All right, good evening, everybody. Greetings to each of you in the name of Jesus. That was very beautiful. So uh, thank you, choir, chorus, ensemble, or whatever you are, for sharing with us those uh, songs this evening. And if you have opportunity to share them with many people in many places, go, go ahead, do it. Glorify the Lord. And be a blessing to many people. Sunshine Chorus. That's a very, you did that tonight. You spread the sunshine of the Lord on us. I appreciate that. It has been a real joy to be here. Um, we are nearing the end of this series of meetings. And we were talking last night, I believe it was, that uh, you only gave me one week to uh, preach. So a uh, man can only say so much in one week. So, you know. Uh, the limitation is in the time. It's not in the material, that's for sure. Because there's many, many, many other things we could share and talk about and be challenged in, I'm sure. But we will have to leave it at whatever it is after tomorrow, no, Sunday evening. So, yes. So this evening, uh, first of all, I want to thank you for your hospitality. We've been having a lot of really good meals. Going to go on a weight loss program when we get home, I guess. In the meantime, we'll enjoy the southern hospitality and the, yes, much appreciation to uh, Dwayne and Janice and their family for caring so well for us and for all of you who have hosted us at your houses. Tonight, the message is what Jesus came to do, all right? <clears throat> what Jesus came to do. And the reason I'm preaching this sermon is because I was reading in my Bible, the book of Isaiah this morning, and these verses were in Isaiah. But we're going to look at the ones that are in Luke that refer to the verses in Isaiah. So you can turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 21, and uh, there is at least one boy in the crowd tonight that I know wants me to preach a short sermon, but we're not quite sure how that's going to work out, all right? I told him tonight, I said, if you tell me a long story, then you're going to get a long sermon tonight. So he was telling me a pretty long story. So. Anyhow, all right, let's just read these verses. Luke 4, 16 to 21 says, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it, it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your Years. Can you imagine the atmosphere in the synagogue when he was done saying that? It was probably rather shocking to the people who were sitting there. Well, this would be a little bit like preaching in your home congregation. Now, I have a special opportunity and blessing coming all the way from Pennsylvania, all the way to Georgia to preach. Because I came here totally innocent and totally ignorant about what the needs might be in this church. Okay, So that gave me tremendous freedom to say whatever the Lord would lead me to say. And so that is how it is to be a visiting preacher. Now, there's some things that may be a little touchy for the hometown preacher to preach because he knows 
what's going on. But when you're the visiting preacher, you're totally free because you don't know what's going on. So um, here Jesus was back at the hometown, back at Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue, the place where he had probably visited many, many times before. And it says as his custom was. So apparently this was not the first time he did this. They hand him the book, the scroll, whatever it might have been. Apparently it was the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so he leaps through the book or rolls the, the, the scroll or whatever he did, finds this passage, and he reads it, and he says, that's me. Can you imagine that? That was a very exciting moment, I am sure. Here were the people that had watched him grow up. And probably there are some children, maybe, that grew up in this church. And you know what? I want to say something very, it's so beautiful in our churches that we call our leaders from within. We don't send out the search committee. We don't have people fill out resumes and give them to us. And we try to figure out who would be the best fit for a preacher in this church. No, we find our leaders from within our churches. That is a beautiful thing. And uh, so we observe them, we know them, we watch them, we hear them, and we know what kind of people they are. And we don't have to be surprised at who they are after they start leading because we have known them. It's not like that in many places. Many places they, just, they, they bring the preacher in, they pay him the salary, and they tell him to preach a sermon. That's pretty much how it is. And uh, they don't really know who this man is, and sometimes it turns out to be a dismal disappointment, but not, hopefully not in our churches. But everyone knows Jesus. Everybody knew, knew him in the synagogue. This is where he had grown up. Some had, had watched him grown up. They were familiar with him. And so what would this be like for the folks in Nazareth? Did they observe as he was growing up? Again, this is a little bit of surmising here tonight, but this boy Jesus was sort of an odd fellow. Don't you think? Do you think Jesus was a little bit odd? Because he was, all through his growing up years, it says that he did not sin. Now, I don't know any children that make it to grown-uphood that don't sin. I don't know any like that. In fact, it seems like their carnal nature becomes really evident really quick. And as the people in Nazareth watch Jesus grow up, they say, he's an odd fellow. He's a little strange. He's a little different. And he's here as a young man, probably about 30 years old, reading the scriptures in the synagogue. Maybe he was a little hard to relate to. He certainly was not like the rest. Maybe he even seemed a bit on the perfect you ever meet somebody that seemed like they were just a little bit too much on the perfect side? They didn't really seem to have a human side to them. It was just like they, were, they always did the right thing. Always said the right thing. They always looked the right way. And that's a little strange. Years ago in our church, we had a man, a young man. I would give him his first name only, but his name was Steve. And Steve was just a little bit he was a very good man. He was a young man. He was a teenager. Very good. I mean, he would memorize Scripture. He would go around and say, here's a book that I think would help you in your walk with God. A, a teenager. And uh, he, was, he was a little odd, a little different, maybe strange. And if you're that kind of person, it's okay. Be that way. But not most are like that. And it turns out that at some point in his life he figured out that he was actually a fraud and went off and lived in sin, which was a tragedy. But Jesus was on the perfect side. On a, on a different wavelength. We use terminology like he wasn't quite on the same page as everyone else. All right, On a different level. 
So here was this local boy, now 30 or so, standing in the Nazareth synagogue, reading a passage of scripture, and at first it may have seemed normal, but it certainly did not end normal. In the book of Isaiah, um, this was the reading of the day perhaps, Jesus finds what is now chapter 61. Little did anyone know what was about to be said and what was about to happen. Somebody was telling us a story today. I guess it was today. Yes, it was. It was this morning. About a visit from the late Clayton Shank. Now, I don't know if any of you remember the late Clayton Shank and his, his entrance to the Hephzibah Mennonite Church. But apparently there was something wrong with the bench. And... Uh, some of you are laughing, but um, the bench did only had one end on it, and I guess the piece in the middle, but it did not have the end. And so he came in here, and he sat on the wrong end of the bench, and it turned into a fiasco. And Brother Clayton, on, uh, you know, I can picture it. I can sort of picture it. Clayton laying on, I don't know which side it was on, but uh, laying on the floor, and the bench going flippity-flop, seesawing up and down, and kaboom, kaboom, and... Uh, a very strange situation indeed. Well, nobody, when that happened to Brother Clayton here, nobody would have imagined that that was going to happen. They didn't know it. When they came to church, they just figured it was going to kind of be normal, like usual. And they were going to go home probably normal, like usual. And so here was a situation where Jesus was doing something normal, but it turned out in the end to be very abnormal. People had no idea what they were about to get into. And so we're going to look at what Jesus said here tonight. And we're going to relate it to what Jesus did then and what Jesus does now and what implications that has in your life and in my life. He begins by saying, reading, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This was very unique and special and powerful in the case of Jesus Christ. There was no limiting factor of the Spirit working in Him, on Him, and through Him. Can any of us say there is no limiting factor to the Spirit's work in and on and through me? Any limiting factors in your life? Do you have any of those? Yes, we do. <laughs> we have limiting factors. And the limiting factor, of course, is ourselves. But in fact, he said in John chapter 8, uh, 28 and 29, it says, Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For listen to this. For I do always those things that please him. And so the Spirit of God in and on and through Jesus caused him to only speak the words of God and only do the things that please the Father. So there was nothing holding him back. There was nothing holding back the Spirit working in him. And this is what the Spirit will do in your life. He will guide your words that they be God's words, and he will guide your life so that you end up doing what pleases the Father. That's the work of the Spirit in the life of a Christian. Do we always do that? Do we always say the words God wants us to say? And do we always do the things that please the Father? Well, I'll be honest with you at least. Not in my case. I don't. It's because I am a limiting factor to the Spirit of God in my life and I still have a 
carnal nature that works on me. And I sometimes go the wrong way, listening to the wrong voice in my life. And so, this is what the Spirit did in Jesus, and it is what the Spirit will do for us. This has much to do with the posture of our heart tonight. This kind of a life flows out of a humble and a surrendered heart. Tonight, brothers and sisters, we need to give up our self-will. We need to give up our pride and our own ways and ideas and desires. How many of you say, that's so easy? It's so easy to give up my way, my wants, my desires. Anybody like that? That goes hard. That's difficult. That is sacrificial. That is painful. But if the Spirit of God is going to truly guide us in what we say, what we do, how we think, and how we live, we've got to give up our way. Because our way is usually in conflict with the way of God. And so Jesus was full of the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him and it caused him to live a life that was pleasing to the Father. We will please the Father if we live by the Spirit. Well, we all know Jesus was unique. He was God in the flesh. He was tempted in all manner like as we are, and yet without sin. We look at that and say, wow. That is very special to know that. We're not like that tonight. We carry the flesh everywhere we go. Yes, we're born again. Yes, we've been saved. Yes, we've committed our lives to God. But there is a voice speaking to us all the time in conflict with the voice of the Spirit of God. It's that old man. And he listens and he's still there. We'd like it if he'd go away. But he doesn't go away. In fact, we're going to be dealing with him until we're done in this life. Sometimes the flesh speaks very loud. The old man is always putting pressure on us to choose a different way other than God's way. And what he says, what the old man says, is consistent with our natural inclination. That is the way we take automatically. Now I know you have long, straight, fast highways in Georgia. In Pennsylvania, you're always stopping, you're always going, you're always turning, you're always going over a hill, and you know what? Sometimes you come around a curb and somebody's pulling out in front of you, or maybe you're going down the highway and somebody cuts in front of you, and, uh, you know, things like that happen. And one of the things I say is I'm glad they did it to me and not somebody else because I'm going to be nice about it. Okay? But our natural inclination is to hit the horn and hopefully it's nothing more than that. But that's our flesh. That is the carnal man that's living within us. He wants to defend himself. He wants to promote himself. He wants to punish other people for the bad things they do. That is our carnal nature, very close to the surface of our responses and reactions to life. And so we want to be led of the Spirit. And doing that is a lifelong project to learn how to listen to the Spirit instead of the flesh. So we have a great inhibition when it comes to life in the Spirit. Our great inhibition is the flesh. Can't quite get rid of it. Can't shed it. We will fight it until the day we die 
or move on to glory. So Jesus was different. Jesus had unbridled, spirit-led, and empowered living. And that is where we should be headed. That we allow the Spirit of God to work in us, on us, and through us. He moves on to say here, he reads, He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. May I read to you who he's talking about. I'm going to read to you who he's talking about. Listen. Poor. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. Poor. Poor. The poor are the ones who receive the gospel because they recognize they need it. God, make me poor. God, make me poor so I can hear. Tonight, rich is a state of mind. It is self-sufficiency. It is independence. It's a state of the mind and the heart. Described in Revelation 3.17, the church of Laodicea has been used very profitably by the church for centuries. I'm going to read one verse. Church in Laodicea, because thou sayest, I am rich. I am an, an increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. They did not see themselves the way God did. God looked at them and said, These are the this is the true state and condition of your heart and life. And they had no idea that's what they were. Tonight I ask us, do we have a true perception of ourselves? Do we somehow think that we're pretty good? We're pretty nice. We're definitely favored by God above others. And we don't realize tonight that we are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I'm a needy person tonight. I'm a needy person. You are a needy person. You need the grace of God. You need His salvation. You need His Spirit. You need Him to work in your life. You're not all that great. Without Him, we're nothing. Without Him, we have nothing. If there's anything good in your life tonight, give God all praise and glory. You have nothing that you have not received. And why do we act like we did something to get it for ourselves? God has been kind. 
God has been merciful. God has been gracious. And every goodness we enjoy is His mercy and grace. I am poor tonight. I am destitute. I am impoverished. Except it be for God's goodness, love, and grace. Tonight, brothers and sisters here, you are poor. And you have nothing outside of God. So I want the gospel preached to me. Oh, I want the gospel. I'm so glad it's come to me. A life-changing gospel. A beautiful gospel. A gospel that only the God of heaven could conceive that He would give His Son to redeem a wretch like me and one like you. The beauty, the glory, and the delight of such a beautiful gospel. That the God of heaven would pay the price and make the sacrifice to redeem fallen man. That is, may I use the word outrageous? That is outrageous. That God would do that. I think we need, we need to stand in awe of the great God of heaven and the grace that He's poured out on us. And so what is the gospel? We know what the gospel is. It is the good news of Jesus. You all know tonight that there is no hope in this world. This world is a hopeless mess. And the only hope there is for mankind comes from heaven. Hope is only found in Jesus. There is no hope anywhere else. If you're hoping to find some hope in this world, you will come up. There's none here. None here. No, there's no hope in money. Nope, no hope. People that have a lot of that, guess what they do? Die. They die and go on to some kind of an end, some kind of reward, whether it be good or bad. There's no hope in money. There's no hope in prestige. There's no hope in man's praise. No hope in materialism, pleasure, or entertainment, or sin. These are things the world chases. The world is chasing these things, thinking just if they had enough of whatever it is, somehow that would bring them to a condition of peace. There is no peace to the wicked. What the world chases is one hopeless mess. Hope and salvation only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. Nowhere else. So if you want to have hope in your life, get your eyes off of this. Take your eyes off of this. And put them on that. It's the only place you'll find hope. Nowhere else. And what kind of a hope it is? It is a lively hope. It is a sure hope. In fact, we're told that it is the hope that a Christian has is like an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast, sure. And so that is the hope of the believer. Tonight, you, <laughs> you are people that are so blessed because you have hope. You know what? Life is going to go rough. Sorry to say. I'm so sorry to tell you. Some of you know that already. Figured it out. Life goes tough. And you know what? Nobody makes it out of here alive. We're all headed to a grave. We're all headed to sickness. We're all headed to pain. We're all headed to headed toward deterioration. But as our body and this life is coming apart, our inner man can be renewed day by day so that the inside of us is keep, keeps on getting better while the outside of us keeps on getting worse. That is the hope of God's children. That even if all things go wrong here, it's okay because it's only going to be a few more days. And we'll see Jesus. It's going to be worth it all. 
In fact, the Bible tells us that the glory that is waiting for the children of God is not even worthy to be compared to the pain and the sufferings of this life. So take heart. Take heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which has been proclaimed to you, brings you hope in the midst of this world, this life you have to live in. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Friends, tonight we live in a broken world. Sin has wrecked, ruined, and wasted many lives. The offerings of the world have left many people empty, bewildered, and disappointed. Let me ask you tonight, do you ever look at what the world has and what the world does and somehow think that you'd like some of it? Has that ever happened to you? Well, probably. That's natural. That's normal. But the truth is, what the world offers leaves people broken. Broken and broke and very disappointed. Because it was never intended to be able to fill the emptiness of people's hearts. You know, there are many people in the world that never even get a chance to dream of a good day. Did you hear what I just said? There are many people in the world that never even have a chance to dream of having a good day. They're born into a situation where there's no chance for a good day. Honestly, this evening, my, I was, my heart was broken today while I was studying, while I was getting ready for this message, because I was thinking about how, how brokenhearted the world is. People are so disappointed, and there's so many people who have no chance. One of my praying habits is I have a bunch of publications. I don't think I mentioned this here before, but... Open Doors, Heralds of Hope, Voice of the Martyrs, sometimes a little bit of information from Asia Harvest. All over the world, there are people that are locked in a system of absolute misery. Broken-hearted people. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. And I'll tell you what, tonight, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior, He has healed your life. He's healed mine. Life is good. I have peace. I have joy. I have something to live for. And you do too. Because Jesus Christ has healed your broken heart. Many are plunged into slavery and despair before ever getting started in life. Many wake up in life to an oppressive and false religion. Taught from their first breath to, saw, to serve a false God with a false religion. Holding them in a stranglehold of bondage and slavery. Oh, what a broken-hearted world we live in. Tonight I ask you, does it break your heart to see what a broken-hearted world we have? Well, then there's Jesus. Do you believe what He says tonight? Are you glad that you know Him? Hasn't He healed your broken heart? Let me tell you tonight. If Jesus has not healed your broken heart, He can and He will if you yield your broken heart to Him. He'll heal it. 
He'll put it back together. He'll mend it up. And you can be a whole person in Jesus. He does this. He did it for me. He did it for many of you. He'll do it for you as well. So what is your heartbreak today? He makes a way for healing. He pours His balm into our disappointment and brokenness. He gives beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That is what Jesus does as we yield our hearts and our life to Him. He is still in the business of healing broken hearts. All over the world, there are people who have given up on sin. They've given up on self. And they've given up on false religions. And they've invited the Lord Jesus Christ into their life. And He heals them. And you know what? Their former religion tries to coerce them and force them back. And they say things like, I will never go back there. I'll die before I go back there. Because they found reality. They found truth. They found healing. They found love. They found healing in Jesus. I will cling to Jesus no matter the cost as long as I live. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Next thing he says is he came to preach deliverance to the captives. Tonight we have an understanding here, don't we? We understand that sin blinds, first of all. Sin is a deceitful work in our lives, blinds us, and then after it gets into our life, it binds us so that we cannot escape. John 8.34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant. Of sin. And then Romans 6.16 says pretty much the same thing. It says, Know ye not? Don't you know that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. So who are you listening to tonight? Who are you listening to? If you are listening to and practicing sin, it is your master. You are in bondage to sin. If you listen to God, if you listen to the Spirit, if you listen to truth and righteousness, then you are the servant of the Most High God. Whoever you listen to is your master. It is not debatable tonight that sin enslaves people Generally, generally speaking, people start out a life of sin thinking that they're doing what they want to do. Do you agree with that? Is that how most people start out? They say, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so they go ahead and do what they want to do. And the thing they want to do is wrong to do. It's a sin. It's sinful behavior. They think they're doing what they want to do until they find out that they can't stop doing what they wanted to do. And they find themselves enslaved to their sin. It is the nature of sin to enslave, no matter what sin it is. Their sin turns into an oppressive, powerful monster that they cannot escape from or control. There is only one way out, really. And that one way out is Jesus he delivers the captives. Many have found this to be true. Jesus offers the only true freedom available. I want to tell you something tonight. I want you right now to think of the most godly and holy person you know. Okay? Think of the most holy and godly person you know 
And I want you to evaluate whether they live in bondage or in freedom. I hope you come to the right conclusion. That person lives in total freedom. I'm telling you. A godly person lives in freedom because there's no guilt. They're not bound. They are doing the things they want to do. They want to serve God. They want to have peace. And they want to have joy. And those are things they have. They're doing what they want to do because they're holy and godly people. And so Jesus delivers the captives. Many, many have found this to be true. Jesus said in 8.36 John, John 8.36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We know what it says in John 10.10, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and kill and destroy. That's exactly what sin does. That's exactly what Satan does. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And then Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with this yoke of bondage. That being bondage to sin and the law. And so the child of God who is serving Christ is the freest person on earth. Jesus then says he came to recover the sight to the blind. Recovering of the sight of sight to the blind. John Newton said it well. He said, he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Jesus, while he was on earth, literally healed blindness when he was here. There's one account that is especially intriguing in John chapter 9. Maybe you know the story. But this man ended up teaching the, the religious leaders, and they, they, they really shut him down. But uh, never having seen a thing, not a face, not a flower, not the sun, moon, or stars, not a tree, a bird, or a plant, nothing. It says four times in that chapter, makes it very clear the man was born blind. It says it four times. The man was born blind. And I want you to, I want you to imagine. When you, when you read the Bible, use your imagination a little bit, okay? But imagine having never seen a thing. If I would make you close your eyes for the next 10 minutes, you'd probably be itching to open them and start looking around because we were designed by God to, to see things and to take in the world around us with our eyes. This man had never seen a thing his entire life. Then Jesus comes along. Jesus spits makes clay, rubs it across the man's eyes, and says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man goes, finds his way. I don't know how he did it. Did he have a cane? Did somebody take him by the hand and lead him? Did he? I don't know how he got there. He probably knew where it was. But he went to the pool. He stuck his face down near the water. He brought the water up to his face started rubbing those eyes, rinsed a second time, maybe even a third time or a fourth time. And you know how it is when your eyes are full of water? Rub your eyes a little bit and open them up. Can you imagine a man opening his eyes for the first time in his life and looking around and seeing? The only thing he could ever do before is feel. Okay, he knew he knew people had foreheads. He knew they had noses and cheeks and lips. He knew that. He knew trees had rough bark. He knew that he heard the birds sing. That's a pretty sound. But then to be able to see them, the flowers, the birds, the trees, the people, everything opened, the whole world opened to his eyes and he could see. Do you think he ever took it for granted? Did you think he ever woke up in the morning and said, seeing is boring? No, not a chance. 
Every morning that man would wake up and open his eyes and say, Glory to Jesus! I can see. And I want to tell you something tonight, that seeing with your physical is nothing compared to being able to see with your spiritual eyes. We sang a song tonight by Fanny Crosby. The lady was blind. But you know what? She saw what mattered. She could still see the things of God. She could understand. She could perceive His love. She could perceive His truth. And it blessed her heart. Even though she couldn't see with her eyes. And so tonight, God bless you dear people. You have the opportunity of being able to see with your spiritual eyes and have understanding of the truth of God. And see things the way they really, really are. The rest of the world around us, they live in deception. They live in a fog. They live in misunderstanding. They don't know what's going on. They don't know why things happen. They don't even know why they're here. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what to do. I don't know what to do sometimes either, by the way. But we're way ahead. We are way ahead. God has opened our spiritual eyes. And we can see. Well, let's move on here. He's, he came to set at liberty them that are bruised. Genesis 3.15 And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Talking about the serpent. The serpent was going to bruise the heel. And I believe that's talking about Jesus, yes. But it's a, he's talking about every person. The, the serpent has bruised everyone's heel. And so we're bruised. We're bruised by Satan. We're bruised by his devices against us. But thanks to God tonight, thanks to God, Jesus has bruised his head. Now you know what happens to a serpent when his head is bruised. That means it's smashed, crushed. And the, 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 the snake can slither around all he wants after his head is smashed. It's not a very pretty picture, I know, I'm sorry. But you know, the, the snake is dead. You smash the snake's head, it's dead. And you know what? I want to tell you tonight, the, the head of the serpent is smashed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Alright? And you can partake of the victory. You are a partaker of the victory of Jesus Christ over Satan. The bruise of Satan is healed in Jesus. His power and control is overthrown in the life of God's children. 1 Corinthians 15:57 But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom. Freedom from Satan's tyranny in Jesus Christ. Lastly tonight, Jesus came to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And that acceptable year of the Lord is right now. It is today. We sing a song, or we used to sing a song. I don't know what songs you sing here, but we sang a song, The glory gates are ever open wide. Inviting the world to come. So those glory gates, they are open right now. You know what? The day is going to come. The gate's going to close. The day is coming. The grace is going to be withdrawn. It's going to be done. Life is going to be over here. But today, the glory gates are open. The acceptable year of the Lord is now. And today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. This is found many times in the Scripture. Tonight, no matter what He is saying to you, don't harden your heart. Hardening your heart is asking for trouble. Hardening your heart is asking God to stop So don't harden your heart, whatever he is saying to you. Instead, have a tender heart. Have an open heart. Surrender your heart, your life. Submit to God. 
cooperate with him. And in closing tonight, Jesus is gone. He went back to heaven, didn't he? You can read about it in Acts chapter 1. The disciples were standing there talking to Jesus and all of a sudden, he starts going up into the sky. And they start watching. And I don't know how how far back they lean and looking at Jesus going up into the sky. He's gone. But he left behind 11 men and gave them a job to do. And there's a lot more people than 11 here tonight. That is proof positive that they did their job. Okay? They did their job. They carried on the ministry of Jesus Christ in their world. And you know where I'm going, right? You are here to carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ in this world. Read it again. Read it again. All the things Jesus came to do. And that is our to-do list. Okay? That's our to-do list. It is the work that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples and it passes on to you. You're his child. You're his disciple. You're his follower. Do his work. Do his work. Will you do it? Will you do it? What if Jesus is standing here tonight and he said, Church, I gave you a job to do. Now come on. Well, I don't think he'd quite say it like he would probably say it in much more gentle terms. Church, I gave you a job to do when I left for heaven. Now please, wouldn't you please just go do it? Okay? I don't know how Jesus would say it. Sometimes he turned over money, changers tables, and sometimes he spoke with great authority. But you know what, church? This is it. This is what we're here for. Is to carry on the work of Christ. Go and do it. Go and do it. Go be Jesus. Continue His ministry to this world. I don't know what the Lord has spoken to you tonight. Maybe the Lord has gripped your heart with something. Maybe you're here tonight, you need to be a Christian. You're not a Christian. The Lord has gripped your heart tonight. Maybe there's sin in your life tonight. You need to repent. You know it. You know it. God has spoken very clearly. And you simply need to cooperate with that. Maybe the Lord has inspired you to do something, to make a commitment, to recommit your life to Christ, whatever it might be. If the Lord has spoken to you in a very specific and clear way tonight, we're going to invite you to come as we sing a song of invitation. Kneel here, stand here. Someone will pray with you, help you, counsel with you, help you, whatever your need may be. And don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid if you respond to the message tonight, the invitation. All God's people will rejoice. And so will the angels of heaven. And maybe when someone steps out and walks forward, we should all stand and cheer. Go for it. Praise God. Encourage them. What shall our invitation song be tonight?